Hello and welcome to Voices and Innovation from GigaOM. I am your host, Johnny Baldisberger, and today we're going to listen to an interview between analyst Simon Gibson, an expert in security and phishing, speaking with JT from Zimperium, whom he recently included in a vendor deep dive report on GigaOM.com. Hi, it's Simon Gibson from GigaOM. I'm here with JT Keating from Zimperium, and we're going to talk a little bit about mobile phishing and some of the differences in mobile devices and why uh, today more than ever, mobile phishing is something that you need to understand and know how to protect yourself against, you and your enterprise. Hi, JT. Hey, Simon. How are you? Good, good. So we finished our radar report on phishing, and one of the things that shook out of it was mobile uh, device protection and phishing protection. Uh, one of the companies we covered was Imperium, and JT is here with me, that um, we were discussing how mobile phishing and mobile devices uh, in this new world are going to become something that we all need to be much more concerned with, and we need to understand the implications of using corporate information like we never have before for work from home, for mobile devices, uh, all the types of things that are open on our mobile uh, that have never been open before from a co corporate standpoint. And we couple that with the health and safety issues that we are now grappling with in terms of infection and virus spread that will probably also be coupled to mobile devices. So we have two big paradigms in motion. Uh, more work from home and more access to corporate information on personal devices than ever before. And health and safety, life health and safety, uh, contact tracing, all those kinds of things we're hearing about that center around a mobile device. Completely different use case than a desktop or a laptop that's in your backpack or briefcase. Our mobile devices are in our hands, they're in our cars, um, they're in the restaurant with us. Um, our mobile devices are, are just tied to us. Uh, and on those mobile devices, we use corporate workflow, work productivity tools, and personal information, health and banking and all those kinds of things that uh, Zimperium has taken an approach to protecting and, and not just protecting the device, but also respecting the user's privacy and enabling users to carry their mobile devices uh, whether or not they're provisioned, uh, whether or not there's an MDM on them, and still maintain a level of privacy and security uh, while being protected from clicking on malicious links, uh, receiving texts, uh, out-of-band kinds of things, airdrops, uh, all the sorts of things that you might not account for on a, a personal computer, a laptop, or a desktop that the mobile paradigm now takes you through. Does that about cover the, the big spectrum? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would say, you know, what's interesting is, and you, you nailed on a, a bunch of things, Simon. Um, the first is really for the first time ever, the mobile device really does combine personal and professional simultaneously. And it doesn't even really matter if it's a corporate owned device or a BYOD, it's something personal about putting it in your purse or putting it in your pocket. You know, if people just account for it. And as you know, from having been a CISO, you know, we've joked about this before. The single biggest risk in an organization has always been a carbon-based life form. Yeah. It's always been a human being. And so these people terrified us 
when they were inside of billions of dollars of network security and billions of dollars of endpoint security with centralized patch management systems, I got an idea. Let's make that guy the admin because on mobile users are the admin. There is no central patch management system or anything. And let's, let's even make it worse. Let's let them spend 80% of the time outside of the protected corporate network. Let's let them be the one to decide what networks are going to connect to. Let's let them decide what apps are going to download. And then when we start talking about phishing, which obviously you and I are going to be spending time talking about, there's always additional things on the device that already make even straightforward phishing far more likely to succeed. Small screens, no ability to compare URLs right next to each other. We're so used to just clicking and clicking and clicking. And with things like that right now, all around the pandemic and stimulus packages and everything, mobile phishing is skyrocketing because there's all sorts of financial and health related things that people are looking for answers for and they're just clicking. Um, and so it's, it's that weird combination of personal and business. And if you're a CISO, you have to account for both. Uh, particularly when it comes to BYOD or particularly when it comes into uh, places like Europe for GDPR or California with CCPA. Um, you have to, you, you can't just approach it like heavy handed security. We're going to force you to do this. You have to, you have to come up with different approaches. Yeah. And I think it's important to note and, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people in the, in the, in the industry, in the profession will, will sort of think that corporate devices that have been provisioned using an MDM are super secure. And, and often the MDM really just enforces a certain base level of profile and they're helpful um, and they do, you know, they have a, a place, but they don't necessarily prevent a user from clicking on a malicious link or having a device compromised and understanding what networks the device has been on, whether or not the device is compromised, what the posture is of the device after somebody's established some sort of a foothold or some sort of permanence on the device. And I think it's important that we make sure that as people are thinking about securing mobile devices, that incorporating a product with an MDM is, is or an MDM with an incorporated product is, is going to be much more robust. And I think, again, I, I don't think we can understate this enough, that this is a very different, this is a, we're, we're looking at the middle of a big shift from that corporate, you know, turning the spigot on to more access remotely and the, the need for the device is growing, you know, beyond anything we've ever seen from health and safety. So in terms of the types of attacks that we're going to see, the amount, the, the, you know, the amplitude of them increasing is just, it's a foregone conclusion that it will, and that CISOs should be preparing for home devices and securing those home devices and understanding that people will have important health and safety and banking and corporate workflow all on the same device and they will be traveling. And, and I think that's a new paradigm that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, and a couple of comments about what you're saying. I agree with you. Um, so MDMs, mobile device management, as a general rule um, are there for, for enforcement. They don't do threat detection. Right, which is part of the reason why we partner with the largest set of MDM providers out there. Um, and so they will help. I mean, they were originally built for if I lost my cell phone or if my employee got fired, how do I prevent them from accessing my data anymore? That was the real use case initially for that. But because of the messaging that uh, Apple and Google 
have you provide every time you put an MDM out, it basically says, my corporation can see your contacts, my corporation can wipe your device. My, you know, it scares everybody and had huge privacy backlash, huge privacy backlash from users, which is why it, it really didn't work well for BYOD. There's a cousin in the whole, what is now called unified endpoint management side of things called mobile application management. And then there's other things like cloud access brokers and the like. Most of the apps today are actually in the cloud, right? Cool. So what a lot of people are doing, particularly in a BYOD scenario, is they're saying, I'm going to control your access to the app as opposed to taking over your entire device. Cool. Because that way I can say, look, if you would like access to Outlook, then you need to accept security solution. So there's no privacy implications in something like that. It's like putting antivirus on our machine. We're always used to it, right? So it's, it's uh, but it's been interesting. But like I said, as, as a general rule, the MDMs or even MAMs, mobile application management, they don't do threat detection. They right. can do simple risk profiling, like are you on an out-of-date OS? Is there a well-known jailbreak that's occurred? That sort of thing. But that's, that's not their, their job. Their job is to enforce uh, you know, policies once you've determined the, the phone has been stolen or now with, with tied in with solutions like Symperium, this device is on a bad Wi-Fi network. This device has been attacked by a mobile phishing attack. What actions do I take? Yep. Yeah, I think for sure as, okay, as the CISO, um, one of the things we don't want to see is personal data. And in fact, in some cases, uh, you know, that's, it's, it, it, it's, we're in violation of the law by receiving certain personal data and there's nothing a user can do to even opt, opt out of it. So we, we don't want that. We actually want users information to stay with them and we want the corporate data to be protected and the workflow and the sort of things we provide. Having devices uh, access apps in the cloud is a big help uh, for sure. Um, Again, the, the types of threats and things we're going to see on those devices, though, because we assume naturally they're safe because of how they're built. The concerns I think that, that people should have around it is that the, the amount of information and the amount of trust we have on them are going up and up. And the solution around that is to prevent attacks beyond the simple MDM, which, as I think you said correctly, is enforcement. Being able to tell the device's profile if applications are behaving in a way they shouldn't after a link is clicked, or if a link is clicked, you know, uh, understanding where, or sorry, understanding exactly what the device is doing after that incident, after that link was clicked. Um, I think those are really important things, and we don't we don't see that in a lot of devices because I think, or sorry, we don't see that in a lot of products because I think people naturally assume that the mobile devices are safe and secure and in their own ecosystem. But I think that you know that's a myth that that I think. Certainly larger enterprises are understanding, but it, I think even end users need to know that they should be protected and also have their privacy respected. Yeah, no, I think there's a few things uh, that you're talking about um, and I, I agree with, with all of them. Um, the first is the, you know, the concept of, of CISOs don't want personal information, right? Um, that's part of why architecturally Zimperium approached the problem differently than a lot of other folks where we said we want to do 100% of our detection or as close to 100% of our detection as possible on device, as opposed to going to the cloud to do detection. And part of the reason was because we don't have to take any 
personal information off or anything that might even hint at being personal information out to the cloud to do diagnostics. Some of the stuff that you would use to determine if this phone is being potentially compromised might be considered personal information. The right. fact that we can do all of our detection on the device without having to take any of that thing off, and the only thing we take off is the forensics of the attack, was key to that entire equation, right? Um, and for instance, which is why when GDPR came out in Europe, we didn't have to change anything in the product at all. Matter of fact, the only thing we did was make it super simple, and we have one GDPR setting for forensics that strips out all PII for whatever group you apply it to, right? right. You know, so completely agree with you, um, you know, on that side of things. And I think, um, I think on the other part, uh, which is the users clicking on things and, and doing, you know, stuff along those lines, the fact is they're, they're going to, um, they're, they're going to be out there. And these devices, the, there's four main attacks on mobile, um, almost the same four attacks as you have on traditional, except for one of them is pretty much ancient history on traditional, right? So the four main attacks are device compromises where you're fully compromising the device, malicious networks, fake networks, rogue access points, et cetera, uh, mobile, uh, malware and phishing, right? The one that's pretty much non-existent on corporate is network attacks. There's the concept of a man in the middle attack or a fake Wi-Fi network inside of a corporation, inside corporate networks is pretty much ancient history. Oh. It is a huge one in mobile because our devices connect to all these Wi-Fi networks without even thinking twice about it, right? Um, but if you look at those four attack vectors, all four still occur on mobile, right? And if you, when people are sitting here saying, uh, you know, hey, I wonder if mobile is just safe, that's because, for instance, Apple has done a very good job of, uh, and Google is similarly, for their vetting the apps in their app store. And people have a tendency to think of malware, right? So because everyone's like, well, there isn't that much malware in the app store, they think everything's safe. Well, Apple and Google produced a record number of security vulnerability patches in 2019, almost like five times more than beforehand. So why are they rushing out these security patches if there isn't a hole to be patched, uh -huh. right? Um, they're all equally susceptible to network attacks and uh -huh. they're all equally susceptible to mobile malware. I mean, to a, a, a mobile phishing. Uh -huh. And on mobile phishing, there's also different vectors that we all of a sudden have to cover. Not only is there corporate email-based attacks, there's personal email, because you and I've been talking about, this is my device, right? right. There's also um, messaging, text. If you look at some of these things happening right now in the pandemic, much of the phishing attacks are text and messaging app-based attacks, which any inline corporate email-based anti-phishing technology would never see because it's totally outside not only of the network but right. of any solutions that are out there right there's no mx record for it it came through a text and then what happened after that no one would know absolutely um the definitely the use cases the veracity the, the you know w people applying for loans i think that's a very good one you know uh, you may be interacting with a bank you've never interacted with before because you're getting a loan from some you know somebody's underwriting a loan that you've never dealt with and you're on your mobile device 
Um, or even if it is a familiar bank, they may have a separate mobile site that looks different. So the, again, the ability to trick the human being becomes much greater uh, and the amount of reliance and trust we have on those devices makes the attack that much harder. One of the things we used to tell people when they asked about phishing, we sort of had four, four components, which were if the email came unsolicited, the email was terse, the email had an had a informative component that made you feel a certain way, and it was followed with a directive based on how you feel, now do this thing. If all four of those things if it met that criteria, it's almost certainly a fish. So right. don't fall for it. So the minute you feel off guard and you've received something you weren't expecting, don't do whatever it's telling you to do. Stop and wait a minute and do the right, you know, call the person who sent the email, ask somebody, you know, send it to your security team. Do, don't just react. And I think in this time where, you know, we're all home, we have completely unprecedented circumstances and we're all looking for answers, this is the most off guard I think you can possibly be. So the, the, the instinct to then click that link, answer that form, fill in your information, you know, do whatever it is you need to do, has never been greater. And, and so again, I just would go back to, we're, we're sort of at this precipice of a, of a new relationship with how we think about our data and how we think about our online, you know, who we are online and what data we're willing to share. Right, right, and you know, for, for me, I agree 100%. And you've seen this, again, coming from the fact that you were a CISO, right? You know, you've been a CISO, um, is that we see the half-life of training, right? The half-life of user training. Um, if you come in a week after they just, your, their organization did mobile, or did phishing training, forget mobile, nah, these guys are on it, right? Yeah. They know exactly what you're just talking about. Come back in a month, come yeah. back in two months, right? all of a sudden they're starting to click again. Um, so for us, when we started saying, how do we go about looking at this problem as a combination of that, but also as a combination of privacy, as you were talking about, we said, and one of the main things we really believe is that you have group-based approaches, group-based policies. You might treat CEOs differently than you would treat uh, a customer service rep, for instance. You might treat a traveling executive different than you would treat somebody that was in the office, right? Um, so this group-based thing is a, is a real focus of ours because we've always wanted to take care of the enterprise, make the enterprise fit in, or will fit into the way the enterprise thinks, not the other way around. Um, so on this, at the highest level, we have two primary ways that people can interact with our machine learning detection of phishing attacks on device, right? One is always on. So one is always on and it will look at, whenever you click on a URL, it will look at the URL. It doesn't look at the content of the email, doesn't do any of that kind of thing, but it will look at the, or the text or whatever, right? But there's this URL and we're going to cycle that URL and determine whether or not it's a phishing attack in real time, always on. Then there's another one, which is largely being used for people that are very very concerned about privacy, BYOD, you know, that sort of stuff, where the user can long press and share it with our app. Yeah. So, you're, you know, so in that case, it's kind of back to the training where you're saying, look, if it even feels remotely fishy, no pun intended, yeah. but there's the urgency and all the rest of the stuff you talked about, yep. just share it with the app and we'll tell you just like that, whether or not it's a phishing attack. Right. Um, so it kind of blends those combinations of what am I trying to do? How much control do I have over the device? Right. What do I want to do from a privacy story with, with the end users all kind of factored in? So that, that was important to us and our, and our clients 
to be able to accommodate both of those scenarios. Yeah, that's yeah, and I think that that philosophically, that architecture in this day and age is 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 going to prove out to be, I think, the best approach. Um, when I thought about those four components and we spent our time putting them together and starting to talk about them, you know, when we went to go we were considering doing an employee training and we sat down and about 15 minutes into the meeting, I realized there's 3000 people here that are news reporters and kind of, I've just described their job. They get unusual things that make them feel a certain way and they react on it so they can scoop, they can be first to print yep. something. So there are certainly use cases where it, you can't train somebody out of it. And even mm -hmm. if you could, it wouldn't matter because that's, you've just described their job in some cases. So right. I, I think there is a, there is, it is fine to educate people and train them. And, but I do not think that that is the solution. I think to your point, and I think, you know, it, to most users, if, if you want to have some level of protection on your mobile device and you don't feel comfortable having every link inspected as you go through, being able to send ones that, you know, may seem odd to you and you're, you're, you're that type of paranoid. And, and I, I, I think too, once your device, if your device is behaving in a way that looks like it's been compromised, being able to simply detect that regardless of the cause. So what link did you go to? What app did you install? Maybe that doesn't quite matter as much as your device seems to have a problem and, and it needs to, so, you know, it needs to be fixed. I think that's yeah. a good no, Sorry, I mean to step on you. Um, yeah, and, and also, you know, you and I talk a lot about this, the, you know, kind of risk reward, right? Um, as a CISO, I would imagine if you had two groups, just let's oversimplify and say all of your mobile users fit into two groups. Mm -hmm. The folks that had the always on protection where every URL was being inspected, right? And the people that were more, you know, privacy centric and were gonna long click, I would imagine that you would also, you and your team would at least consider, do I give them different access? Because there's different risks to the organization of a device that I know what's going on versus a device that I might know what's going on, right? So, so for instance, you might say for that second category, we're gonna give you access to email, but not much else. Mm -hmm. Whereas the first one, you might say, okay, you got share drives and you got everything else. So you can, you can balance your, your risk by what is, the, what is the access I'm going to give, and I'm using phishing as an example. I mean, it could be any one of these things. Is it on a bad network? Is it not, you know, et cetera. But that's part of this whole thing of, of fine tuning risk versus, uh, you know, the, the reward of what these people can and cannot have based on what they're allowing you to have visibility into. Perfect, yeah. So how would let's let's wrap up and then how, how, I'll have you summarize what we talked about and then I'll do one and then let well, let's let's just do a quick summary of like you know what we've just covered. Yeah, so for me, uh, I think the the summary of this whole thing is mobile devices are not going away. Mobile devices are absolutely part and parcel of everything going forward. Remote work from home is not going away, which means combinations of corporate owned and BYOD devices are going to be out there at all times. Um, we now have greater exposure as an organization to the personal things and the personal side of things that people do on mobile than we ever have in the past. So you need to figure out how am I going to account for that? But I need to account for it in terms of a balancing act between security and privacy. 
So all of my solutions need to be able to account for both sides of that equation, particularly on the, the BYOD side. On the mobile fishing part in particular, which is obviously what the report is on and what we're talking about, I think the key things that need to be factored in is first, again, that balance between privacy and security. Secondly, you need to account for all of the other vectors of phishing attacks that can occur that are outside of existing corporate email, personal email, messenger apps, texting. These are all very hot vectors. Why are they hot vectors? Because the, the hackers know there's no protections in line for them. So they're, they're, they're going where the protection's not. But if that device gets compromised, then you, you, the attacker basically is the device and they have access to everything in your network. So you need to be able to detect whether or not there's a phishing attack that's occurred, a device compromise that's occurred, and then take actions appropriately um, to, to protect your organization. Yep, agreed. I, I, I think some of the big takeaways for me, are, and I, I, you know, I think the right way to say it, so some of the big takeaways for me are that MDM is an enforcement tool, not a detection tool. It might be able to look at the, whether a phone's jailbroken or not, or if it's running a particular version of an OS, but it's really there to enforce a policy, wipe a, wipe a device uh, on exit or lost. But it's not going to look at the, the, the posture of the device, the applications. It's not going to look at URLs. It's not going to understand if a device is being attacked. Uh, so I think that's an important uh, important differentiator to think about when we consider how important mobile is going to become. It already is, clearly, but it's about to become much more important. Work from home, bring your own device. You know, the way our business workflow has always existed is now changing. And it's under, it's under change and mobile is, is a huge part of that. Um, and so being able to protect those devices from things like phishing in texts, phishing in messenger apps, things that are not protected by traditional, you know, mail gateways, secure mail gateways, um, being able to understand a device's profile and what networks the device is on. Those are all paramount as we ramp up our reliance uh, and our willingness to share information about ourselves on our device that I don't think we've ever been willing to do before. Those are all very good. And I think this Imperium has a great solution for that. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Voices in Innovation. If you want to learn more, I recommend you go to gigaohm.com and pick up Simon's recent report, The Key Criteria for Evaluating Phishing Protection Platforms, to learn everything you need to know about this technology. You can buy that single report, or you can subscribe to our research to get access to all of our reports, as well as our blogs and, of course, this podcast. Thank you so much. I am Johnny Baltusberger for GigaOM, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.